a lot of times those schedules force people to be more creative to some degree in some regards and so that can also because sometimes having too much freedom of time becomes detrimental to the quality of it as well Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show's new but not shiny new live show, SNF Clacks. I'm Sean. I'm Daniel. Clickety clackety clack. <laughs> Clickety. Is that our is that our, our tagline for this? <laughs> right, Clickety yes. clackety clack. <laughs> I feel like we need a robot noise for that. That's what we need. <laughs> yes. Uh, so on today's show, we will make an announcement, and we're going to discuss uh, some of the webinar events hosted by publishers including Orbit and others, uh, NanoRemo, and we're going to take your questions. So if you've got questions, now would be a great time for you to perhaps prep them and put them in the chat. So it should be very fun. Uh, it's going to end perfectly well, Tanya, in chat. Uh, I, I believe so. So, <laughs> And as always, please share your comments with us about this and past episodes at skiffyandfanty.com slash listener suggestions. Some of these questions might get discussed right here on SNF Clacks or on our Speculative Dispatch show. Ooh. And yeah, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on what topics for future clacks so we can have some ideas to kind of parse through. Okay, so announcement first. So... This may come as a surprise, and I apologize for the surprise of it, but uh, we're going to begin the process of phasing out the Skiffy and Fanny Twitch channel and moving everything to my personal channel at Alphabet Streams on Twitch. So twitch.tv slash Alphabet Streams. And the reason for that is really a pragmatic reason. Uh, my Alphabet Streams channel already has the affiliate status with Twitch, which means you just get access to more features that make it a little easier to manage streams. and at our present rate, we will never reach that with Skiffy and Fanny because we don't meet two of the requirements and we won't without doing dramatic changes to the amount we stream. So with that in mind, if you're following the Skiffy and Fanny channel, please go follow Alphabet Streams on Twitch. We're going to do Skiffy and Fanny nights there. We're going to start that process. Uh, we're going to move ourselves off of our Skiffy Twitch and we're going to move there and it's just going to make it better. We get better features and it'd be easier to manage and also probably make my life slightly easier too than having to manage two Twitch channels. Uh, all things considered, it'd just be easier. And we're going to keep doing Torture Cinema and Clacks and all of that and other live shows as we can do them and then all the other nonsense that I do. Plus like half everybody that's on my channel is skiffy people anyway. So like Daniel's the only one who hasn't shown up yet. Yes, that's true. Yeah, what the hell? Maybe Daniel? maybe now I'll have to. <laughs> <laughs> so the original topic for this was like the orbit basically structure build the novel, how to write a first novel events. There're like 12 of them, I think. Uh, a variety of events, but all kinds of different authors at different levels of career talking about all manner of writing novels. Essentially as a lead-up, or at least mostly a lead-up, to what will be NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writers Month, which is November. I think it's really interesting, and I don't know how you feel about it, Daniel, but uh, there's obviously like a financial incentive for them all to get people writing novels because they need more books to sell. But on the other hand, 
the number of authors at very high level careers, but also combined with folks at maybe less high level careers in a lot of these webinars, I thought was just really interesting because sometimes you hear like in the publishing space that, you know, people go and do a book event, but like they're by themselves, but they're nobody and nobody shows up to their like book signing or book reading. And this is kind of designed where, you know, it's it's pretty big names like James S.A. Corey is one of the webinars is assigned with some folks that I've never really heard of. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen their names before, but I've never really heard of them. Maybe they're big. I didn't really look, but I, I thought it was just really interesting that they made that decision to kind of place all these folks together as a way of kind of, all, uh, I mean, maybe leveling the playing field, as it were, of kind of saying like the amount of books you sell is not necessarily the determining factor of how good of a writer you are. It's really the act of writing and publishing books. And I don't know where you kind of sit on that. I'm curious. Yeah, so I, looking at that too, it surprised me as well of what sort of incentives there are. One, for the publisher to be offering this, what are they really looking for? But then also, what what does the audience expect to get out of it? Because some of those topics almost seem like, if you're thinking about writing, probably you already have an idea, you probably already have a good sense of how to write. It's a lot of the things after that, that come into to question. But so I, stepping back, I had actually attended one of the events Tour did that was on sort of like meet the tour publication team, learn about who these people are, what they do, how do you break into the publication industry? So I attended one of their webinars on this. And it was really fascinating just from educational perspective for me, of someone who reviews books and reads a ton, but has no idea how books get made, or <laughs> prior didn't really, never really thought about it, or never tried to learn. And I was surprised at how many people actually were attending this. How many did, when in the events you attended, how many would oh you say? Oh my God. Like hundreds? Uh, I don't know about hundreds, but from the tour one, just from the group chat, I would Yes, there was maybe close. It was definitely maybe close to a hundred. That's a pretty sizable. It was a number sizable. Of, yeah. I mean, not everybody was talking and not everybody was chatting and such, but there seemed to be a worldwide audience for this. People seemed like at the beginning, people were writing in like where they're from, where they're based, what they're maybe interested in. Some people were interested in trying to break into the field. Some were just reviewers and wanted to know a little bit more about like what the different jobs were in terms of making the book happen. Um, but there were a lot of people interested. So I imagine that this would get a lot of traction too, particularly just so many people out there do have that sort of hope or dream of dabbling in writing and maybe want to get more serious about it. That's interesting. So I do want to note, because I, I, my mom and Chad has mentioned, like some of these sound interesting, and I was checking to make sure, but some of the Orbit ones have replay options. I didn't check to see how long the replays will be open, they do. but do go watch the replay. So if you missed one, the, like there was one on October 11th, for example, on how to choose an idea for your novel, which has some pretty solid names on it. Like, good Lord, James S.A. Corey, right. Fonda Lee, who we've interviewed, Marino Miller, and I don't know Devin Madsen, but probably great too. The, the other thing about those names, I guess, is that it gives them an opportunity to sort of peddle their books. It does. Because they're yeah. talking about them. And because I've attended, like, back during the pandemic kind of era, they had lots of author events that I 
went on to to hear about upcoming releases from the publisher, for instance. And so this can kind of double for that format as a, as well, I guess. It's interesting that you kind of mentioned just the number of people that were there because, like, obviously this is a prelude to NaNoWriMo, which is like a big thing where not necessarily everybody's going to write a novel during November where they think that's going to get published. But the idea is like to challenge yourself to try to write a novel, right? And where did this original? I've vaguely heard about it in the past, but I actually you've never don't heard know of much. Nano before? I've it's heard like... people like meant like I've seen the acronym posted, but like nobody oh. ever explains what the heck they're talking about. Well, and I'm so about I've to never ruin looked your life. it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have a... to explain it to me. So Nano is from 1999, 20 plus years ago now. There's an organization called NanoRemo.org, and it's just National Novel Writers Month. And you can go to the .org, um, a number of people on, you know, went like on Blogger or uh, what is it, uh, TypePad or whatever the those organizations, uh, the, the like blogging platforms, um, w- all of them would like join these things and like write a novel. And most of the people that do this probably have some aspirations that they're going to publish a novel at some point or like that's what they would like to do. But not everybody that does this, it's like thousands of people every year, you know, and I don't know what the number in the end is, like total, like uh, in in 2000, supposedly there were like 5,000 people writing novels in this. Presumably those numbers have expanded. But the idea is like you write a novel in about 30 days, which I will note at one point probably was considered a little bit absurd to say like, you do a novel in 30 mm-hmm. days and like it's going to be ready but based on how publishing works for people at like the you know mid-level career where they're writing three novels a year that may in fact be how long mm-hmm. it takes for them to write a novel because they got to pump that sucker out pretty quick but like it's this whole thing there's a or huge at the very community least get a draft or at least get a draft or rough draft you know some people use it to do you know they just want to like challenge and stuff like i've always wanted to write a novel maybe i can do it even if what comes out is like a pile of garbage, right? The idea is like 50,000 words is the goal you're going for. Uh, Tanya and Chad is saying that they're doing it this year. And I know a number of folks from a variety of different career levels have used this as a way of challenging themselves to push. I've never done it solely because November is one of the worst grading yeah. months for me. Yeah, It's it's exhausting. It's I need a nano remo in June. Yeah. Please, could you do this in June? Uh-huh. Uh, NanoRemo.org, contact me. Well, what is the sort of incentive to doing it when everybody else is doing it in that actual month? Is there like accountability amongst the participants? An exchange of things? Like or could you really just do it? You could just do it for funsies. Okay. You can do it in a like a, a bunch of people in like little writing communities, like groups and stuff will will do it as a way of everybody kind of challenging themselves and like providing a I suppose you call it like a loose incentive or a loose, a bit of accountability because you know, you're, everybody's expecting like you're supposed to churn out like 5,000 words this week or whatever. Um, but there are competitions that people have done where they, you know, whoever finishes and like writes a novel that like whichever one's the best wins this competition. Um, some people do it as a way of like holding themselves accountable in public. Cause they'll talk about the amount of words that they've written in public and people go, oh, okay, you've gotten really close. And some people find that as a motivating factor. Um, and some people just literally, they they just want the personal challenge to do it. 
Tanya and Chad is saying fun, a sense of camaraderie because a whole bunch of other people are doing it. And some people set up accountability groups to hold themselves accountable. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme, I mean, if, if all you treat it as is a thing to, I'm going to write a novel, I'm going to try to write a 50,000 word novel in 30 days. And if you don't get it, what's the worst that really happens to you is <laughs> like, I just didn't make it this year. <laughs> you feel like a failure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess like... I've never felt that from anybody where they feel like an abject failure, but they, they definitely get the impression of like, okay, I need to push myself a little harder maybe, or like they use it as an opportunity to explore. Like uh, I have a student right now who's doing a project that's not a fiction project. And they were like, well, Nano, this, this month's perfect because this is when I need to finish the project and basically in this period. So it's done by the time Professor Duke can fix it. And so they basically took all the pieces of the project and they just retooled them and pretend they're novel elements. Like this is my characters and these are my dialogue and these are my plot. And now they're going to write it over the course of this month. So theoretically you could do it any way you want any, any structure you want. And it's just a way of like challenging and pushing yourself. Um, and a lot of other people are doing it right. So by some extension, if you're following nano groups, you're you're basically following a bunch of people trying. You're communicating with them and getting ideas and getting and you yeah. might get encouragement. Getting that camaraderie, yeah. like like Tony said in chat. I yeah. think that's a big thing. You might see people on Blue Sky because there's a lot of writers on there. Going to probably drop this. Like, hey, mm -hmm. I wrote a thousand words today for Nano, and and they'll get encouragement. Right? People will say, hey, way to go, you got this. And I think part of it, and I can't speak to what the founders of this whole thing thought. But to me, a part of it was always like writing tends to be a very solitary activity. You're, you're just alone in a mm -hmm. room or like in a cafe. People go to a cafe, but like nobody who writes in a cafe really wants to interact with anybody except for screenwriters because they want a director to pick them up. But, uh, but mostly not. Right. So it's a very solitary thing. And nano is a way of like creating an element of a community for a very solitary activity. So, right. But I imagine like 98% of like writers are just introverts and weirdos. Tanya can confirm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, at some point it comes down to you have to, you know, seclude yourself off to yeah. do it. <laughs> Eventually you have to finish but, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I guess from these like events, particularly with such a diverse cast of authors, give like talking about different parts of the process you get sort of a perspective of other people who may have been like you before they publish their novel and then also get ideas of like, cause nothing that works for one person is going to work for everybody. Right. And so you get a sort of range of perspectives of what works for each of those steps. I mean, you're, you're completely right. Cause to, to yeah. explore. Because like, right? there's a one that's coming up. Uh, by the time this episode goes out, I don't know if it, it will have passed, so you might have to watch the replay. But there's a Creating Otherworldly Cultures option from Orbit, which has Anne Leckie, Suyi Davies Okumboa, I, I apologize, I'm, I'm not 100% on the pronunciation, Essa Hansen, and Davinia Evans. All of them are authors with several books to their names in a variety of genres. And I think it's really interesting that here is this this panel that's meant to be about how do you basically create alien worlds or worlds that don't feel like our own. And they're broadly, I mean, could it be more diverse, I suppose, but like it's pretty diverse, broad ranges perspective. Suyi Davies Okungbo is writing uh, epic fantasies from an African cultural perspective. And Lucky has written 
I don't even know what you call them, like anti-imperialist space operas. Space yeah. opera. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essa Hansen is also writing space operas, which are a bit anti-imperialist, but is writing much more militaristic, like action-packed space opera. And Davinia Evans, if I recall correctly, is writing some a, a form of fantasy, right? She's got a novel called Shadow Baron that came out, I can't remember. Yes, a notorious sorcerer. Yeah. Shadow Baron is yeah, yeah that one came out or is coming yeah. out in very soon <laughs> November fourteenth correct uh, which it is yeah. I think a, a form of like a, a, a it looks like an urban fantasy but I, I can't see from the description but so you've got all these different perspectives all kind of talking about the same idea but their genres they write in and their perspectives they bring are going to be drastically different which is awesome because it means that if you're like I don't know, like maybe my mom wants to write a novel who's in chat and she's bored one one week or she retires early and she's like, I'm going to write me my first animal fantasy novel because I'm a dork. Uh, she can go to this and be like, ah, well, the perspective that Sue Davies brings is that's the perspective that aligns kind of with what I'm trying to do. And I can get a lot from that conversation. But you might also learn something different from the other people. Maybe Anne Leckie's perspective is very different or Essa Hansen's or Davinia Evans. And you get different things from each one. Yeah, Davinia Evans is what's hot right now in terms of topic is romanticy. Ooh, sexy. Yes. This book is a gooey and hot romance immersed Ooh. in a tasty layer of quirky fantasy like some decadent chocolate treat. Like a decadent chocolate treat? Yes. Ooh. Oh, that. sorry. This is a book that Davinia Evans recommends. Sorry. Oh, well, that's probably something they write but too, still, right? Yes, yeah. correct. And of course, the the perspective on this otherworldly cultures may may be fed into by like how they deal with the magic component of it. Yeah, how do you make something? Perhaps they'll be looking at it from a perspective of how do you make something that seems similar to our world seem like it's not. Maybe. So that's that's actually it's an aside that I'm thinking right now, I guess. But like Davinia Evans is probably an author I wouldn't gravitate towards reading because it's not my subgenre, right? But there's a lot of people out there that adore it. And I wouldn't necessarily get their perspective from reading the novel because I wouldn't be seeking it out. It wouldn't be on the top of my list of things to read. But from an event like this, when you get such a diverse um, feedback of different authors, you get to hear and learn maybe something there that they're thinking about in their field that's applicable to romanticity is something I never thought about that's going to be like, wow, what if I did that in like horror? What would that look like based on what they're doing? So I like this idea of kind of bringing in a lot of different perspectives of um, of points of view. I just, I'm sorry, Daniel, so Sean must have I had heard everything thought. you said, but the second you went, oh, I want to do something similar in horror, my brain horror, went, well, how yes. would you do horror and fantasy together? Because you got romanticy, right. right? And I was right. like, yeah. my mind went immediately to horantasy. Horantasy, yes. <laughs> I was like, no, we can't ever call it that. <laughs> no. no, I think it's just dark fantasy. <laughs> it's just dark fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different tone if it's horantasy. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be horror. Oh I guess. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I do think you're really right. Uh, so Tanya in chat, by the way, has went to the same place my brain went. So I don't feel so guilty <laughs> now. So <laughs> okay. uh, I I love that you brought this up because one of the things I think is really cool about 
like when we, we've been doing this podcast for like 13 ish years. And while we don't do as many interviews as we used to do when we were doing them a lot, one of the things that would kind of happen was like we did weren't we weren't able to be very selective at the beginning. Right. We just kind of had like whichever publisher was willing to throw people at us. Right. Uh, right. We would read them, which I kind of miss when we in a way when we weren't kind of as more established, we could be a little more picky because it meant like. Sometimes you read a book that just you didn't you wouldn't have picked up otherwise. And then you're like, whoa, this is really good. And, you know, sometimes it's the cover that sets you off or it's like the subgenre it's in that just doesn't work. And I think there's a value to like intentionally stepping outside of your comfort zone and going like, I'm getting right. we're going to read this thing that is not what we would normally read and being like, oh, but this is bringing something to the table that I kind of needed and just didn't know. And I think that outside of this weird space where you're like reviewing novels or doing interviews, there's like a tendency we have to not want to do that because I get and I get it. I, I understand it. It's sort of like why I keep watching X-Files over and over is like there's a familiarity <laughs> to the experience. Jen and I talked about like this idea of escapism. And I think right. it's really important, which is like we we just kind of want that comfort a little bit of like feeling literarily safe like we're getting something we kind of feel familiar with um but i do think there's value of just every once in a while just going you know what i'm gonna read something i normally wouldn't read you know something that people like and i'll see if i like it like i read mm -hmm. a i read a, frankly a smut book recently and i really enjoyed reading it i just want to know because it was like a, a smut book written for men it was like one of those uh it was the slocum books so if you've ever seen them it's a western and oh, okay. the cover will tell you it's like a Western, a romance, a romance Western written for men. And I've mentioned it on a variety of streams before. And I've been having fun with it because like, even though the sex in it is, it's very clearly written by a man who doesn't understand how breasts work. Uh, <laughs> I, I do kind of just, I'm really enjoying the fact that like, it's very readable. It's kind of fun the way it presents things. The character points of view are kind of fun. It's a very quick read. Uh, and the sex is hilarious uh, because it just it's just not it's no sex is like this. It's it's male fantasy to the max. But me trying it, this 185 page book, like ultimately was the, a good decision because I did enjoy reading it. I don't know that I'm going to read that particular series, but I might try another one of the similar genre because maybe that one might have breasts that work according to logic um <laughs> <laughs> sorry his conception of breasts is like every time i read it, it was like breasts don't i've interacted with some breasts they don't do that they, that's not how they work <laughs> like <laughs> but anyway yeah so i think you're, it's all you're the fantasy right. there. yeah 100 yeah. mm -hmm. like male fantasy to the extreme no, no 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 we're not talking chuck tingle tanya in chat uh Chuck Tingle is deliberately writing absurdity, right? He's meant to be, he's making jokes. He's, he's writing somewhat satirical work that is making fun. Uh, this is meant to be, I mean, they're, they're certainly tongue in cheek. It's sort of like writing Bond stories, right? Where Bond is like mysteriously always attractive to women for reasons that don't make any sense. But like explicit, like literally the first sex scene describes a sex act where I'm like, that's what men think that would be like. And the reality is, no, this, the bodies are awkward. It does, it would not be very fun. It'd be a very uncomfortable experience. I'm just telling you. Yeah. There was a lot of discussion of the size of his member 
and I just want to know. Uh, this is also a male fantasy where like men are just running around going, I want a dick that's 15 inches long and nine feet around. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. That's not what you want. Nobody wants that. <laughs> no woman wants that. My mom writes. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> There's a TikTok. I don't know if you've seen it, Dave, <laughs> Daniel. Uh, there's a TikTok that cracks me up, which is just a woman with a measuring tape, like talking about the sizes of dicks. And she's just <laughs> going like, like, uh, let's talk about like the rationality of it. She's like, you know, four inches like this is great. Just fine. You know, six inches, you know, appropriate. This is too much. This is like out like when I'm going to be in the hospital. Like she's just doing this whole bit and being like, when we're talking about this, like, I don't think we know what we're talking about because... <laughs> She's just, it's hilarious. I'll see if I can find it and put it in the uh, the, the show notes. But it, it cracks me up every time I see it because I'm like, she's right. Like, what are you doing with like a 14 inch dick? Who gives a shit? I'm sorry. This got out of control. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, do, how do all the podcasts somehow go to breasts and dicks? I mean, breasts and dicks are fun. They are. I mean, yeah. I mean they're important biologically. Yeah, if you're so, interested in those things, I suppose. The center. <laughs> My mom is saying, ouch, in the chat. <laughs> Were you expecting this to happen, Daniel? <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious what future events publishers might do and what readers and what other people might really want out of such live events. Do they want more into like publisher insider type things? Do you want more or do we want? more in terms of how to get published, how to write, or more sort of interaction. Because the first Orbit event was more on just like the topic within fantasy of hero, anti-hero, and the spectrum that that runs, and just talking about that with authors. And so do people just appreciate sort of that interaction with the authors that they like to read? I, you don't need to answer that. I mean, maybe you have opinions on it. But I am curious to hear from anyone else out there that listens, or I'm just curious in general what people may want. Well, while folks in chat kind of think about their thoughts on that, I guess I would say, I feel like a part of this equation is, like, who are you talking to? Because, like, if you're doing one of these series of events, like what Orbit's doing, right, where it's like 12 or whatever, different, uh, you know, seminars, as it were, little panels... You know, the audience you're talking to is going to determine what kinds of topics you're even going to begin to address. Like when I was looking at the, the, the subjects for the Orbit event, you know, a lot of them are like some of them could probably get pretty granular and specific, but a lot of them are kind of 101 Vague. or like if not 101, yeah. just one step past 101. Like there's one on pantsers and uh, planners or pantsers, right? And there's one that's about our plotters for Panthers, I should say. Uh, there's one about, um, you know, the good, bad and the subverted tropes, like dealing with the idea of tropes, which everybody's going to run into or uh, mm -hmm. dealing with magic systems, which I just want to note uh, uh, a certain Brandon Sanderson is not present at that. So uh, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I kid. Evan Winter, Andrew Stewart, Emma Carrick and Gareth Hanrahan is, is, is there and. Well, I haven't read all of their work. Uh, Andrew Stewart and Evan Woodard are, are quite good. And I apologize to Carrick and Hanrahan that I haven't read your work yet, but please contact me and yell at me and make me feel bad. Um, but you've got like uh, real life places to imaginary worlds, which is like Alastair frickin' Reynolds and uh, Constance Sayers, Alex Jennings, R.S. Ford. So like you've got these topics that maybe they're not 101 topics, but they're not that deep into the woods. 
to me, it seems like, hey, it's it's geared towards people who probably are like they've been thinking about doing this and maybe they've written a little bit, but they're not quite they're not like the way these other folks are where they're like deep in the woods in this. And I think that's probably the smart move because I feel like that really granular detail is the kind of thing you go to a, a writer's workshop for. A professional court. Or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you like go to a convention that has a writer's track and somebody's running like a couple of sessions where it gets pretty specific or you're paying money for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying it should be paid, but that's where you would expect that. That's fair. Do you have any thoughts on the on the specifics of these, Daniel? I'm curious. How do you feel about that? Are you going to do nano? So um, I would love to do it. I've been bouncing around actually an idea for a horror novel a long time in my head. And I just don't have the time ever to like you have to make the time right. But finding that time, particularly amid, as you know, the semester schedules, it can be hard amidst other writing that needs to be done for the academic side of things. So yeah, finding a moment to do that is just the so maybe one summer. It would be hard to do in November. Yeah, that's we sure. need like an but an, we need a summer an one ACO, for an Remo. Which is like during times when academics are not typically busy, which is during summer, typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So maybe we need to like contact the nano people and be like, hey, all these academics (laughs) want to write novels. (laughs) But Daniel's got to write some scientific papers about like bacteria. And so we need an ACA nano remo. Correct. The other kind of thought I had was that in terms of these events, I'd be curious to hear more on the side of editing things. So much the focus is on like the ideas and writing, yeah. But so much of writing, like again, it's really kind of what one o level one o one, right? Yeah, or just a little behind beyond that. I'm curious, you know. Okay, you write, you have lots of ideas, you get them down, you get drafts, but then what? <laughs> it's not good enough to really start going out to try to find an agent or a publisher or to to submit to places what are the different ways that people approach editing what's the relationship between author and editor um in terms of give and take of saleability versus artistic kind of things that you might put in or things that you like but they're like oh this isn't going to work in today's market um, sort of those kinds of insights I would be really curious to to learn more about. An adjacent side to that would be, because you mentioned the market, right? And, and publishing's mm. in, some people have described it as a bit of a contraction where it's becoming more small C conservative rather than, to be clear, not like political conservative per se, although maybe in some respects it is, um, where it's there's just less space for more experimentation in a lot of the commercial fiction spaces. And so we you know, people talk about that all the time in writing of like how do you how do you write to the market, right? And they say don't do it in general, but to some degree you kind of have to be aware of the market. You can't just ignore it. And so how do you like maybe edit so that you're editing to what the market's expectations broadly are rather than in specific? That is a really good question that maybe they could answer because, I mean, mm-hmm. on the one I was thinking what you were saying, like, OK, this is a publisher putting on these events. Tor earlier had put on a bunch of events. So, like, mm-hmm. my cynic and they me have is this like, information. Yeah, they, they want people to write novels that can be sold. Right. 
Right. But on the one hand, that seems cynical. On the other hand, it's like, no, but that's also smart because if they did hold some editing events, that's going to make it easier on their end. Here's some <laughs> theoretically better quality novels that we don't have to edit nearly as much before they're ready for market. And so we can sell more books or sell them faster, I suppose. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe that's a little too cynical. I don't know. But And to just know what they're looking for at this moment or now or you know down the line, what they see as being the most... Well, the answer they'll give you is just read. And yeah. it's like, okay, but I can't <laughs> yes, read. But, uh, I can't, like, can't read <laughs> I hear this all the time. Like, <laughs> hey, just read more. And I'm like, yes, I understand that. But um, I'm also being told by these other people I need to read outside of my genre because you need to read a lot. And it's like, well, I can only read so many things in all the genres that exist, right? So I have to, to some degree, make be a little discerning about what I'm reading to some degree, you do have to read. Like, you, you really can't be mm-hmm. a good writer and not read a lot. Like, it's just... Correct. I don't know oh, any high-quality writer that isn't a regular reader. Like, the books... If you ever watch, like, Jeff Vandermeer, he'll occasionally, like, he'll travel internationally and, like, do these things. And then he, like, goes to random-ass, very specific bookstores. Like, he went in somewhere in Eastern Europe, I think, or maybe France. I don't remember. But, like, he went to some architecture-used bookstore. And bought like a hundred dollars worth of like random architecture theory books and then brought them home mm-hmm. and read them. That's the kind of like weird, esoteric, strange reading I suppose you have to do. And like to some degree, we have to talk about uh, on the one hand, the editing side, like how do you edit your work? But then we also have to understand like how do you actually make sure that you're kind of staying both current in the field because you need to be but also like not completely bound to it at the same time, which is like the most Correct. crazy tightrope walk ever. Yeah. And, and Tanya is saying in chat, yeah, you, you got to read, but you're always wavering between reading and writing because you can't do both simultaneously. You can't. Yeah. When people have jobs and stuff, that's harder to do, which is unfortunately with writers, this is the problem we're running into, right? That very few writers are making- <laughs> You can't just be a writer. You can't anymore. Almost nobody mm-hmm. in publishing right now is making a living- writing books they're doing something else Mm -hmm. as their primary job and that's that's nuts like that's bananas to me because on the one hand i know that like people love to romanticize the idea of like the starving artist like you've got to struggle to (laughs) create great art which first off no you don't um but the fact is like we we actually want a class of individual who can make a living doing the thing because the idea is like by being able to focus entirely on your craft, you get better at doing the thing. And mm-hmm. now we have a lot of people who are being told they got to publish really fast, lots of books really fast, but they're not granted enough money where they can actually focus on that as the primary. And I and I know that a lot of people... So the quality goes down and the meaningfulness goes down. Yeah. And I, I think to some mm-hmm. degree, we like to think that what we're reading are the best possible books these pe- people could put out. And I'm like, but it's the best possible books within the limitations they're given. All these folks, like, if everybody could have every extended deadline that certain male, mostly white male authors have been granted who are many years late on their books, um, I imagine we just get more and more compelling and interesting works from people. If folks <laughs> didn't have to release three books in a year, just one. Although... The other flip side of that, I guess, or argument against that would be that a lot of times those schedules force people to be more creative. To some degree. In yeah. some regards. And so that can also, because sometimes having too much freedom of time becomes detrimental to the quality of it as well. 
and being rushed or being constrained in what you can do actually generates more artistic endeavors. That's certainly true in the world of film, I think. I, do, I agree. Whether yeah. whether that's how much that is true in writing, particularly like fiction, I'm not sure. But I would think to a certain degree, but it could carry over. But at the same time, I totally see what you're saying. I don't disagree with you, that though. I think there's a lot of when you're not getting paid for it, when you don't, you're not putting the same thing into it. Yeah. You're not entirely wrong. Like the idea of total and absolute freedom to not have any pressure and any like removing all the financial barriers, like we've taken away deadlines, like all that stuff is gone. I, I agree. I mean, maybe some people can be very creative and experimental and it'd be fine. But a lot of folks don't necessarily work as effectively under those the absence of some pressure emphasis on some. Tanya saying in chat, it's the opposite, right? But I think to some degree, you're right. Like if you're just granting someone endless extensions of a contract without any meaningful return on the work that they're meant to present to you, you know, you end up in this point of like, but if you don't hold them accountable because they've signed a contract and they're supposed to return it at a certain date, roughly speaking, right? Is the work you're ultimately getting, are you not encouraging them to potentially reduce not the best possible work because they don't have any pressure to actually sit down and get the work done. They can just go do something else. As Tanya says in chat, and I think correct, right? It depends on the individual. I Correct. Yeah. yeah. I would say Good like line. if I were a published writer right now and you were just randomly extending my deadline without any real pressure from my editor, probably it's not going to work out for you. I work better under deadline than not, which is why it's harder for me right now in academia as a professor for the publication route, because the deadlines don't really mean anything in, pu- in publication in academia. They do when you're in school. And so I think that that's a thing that I would not benefit from. But other people might be better off with that level of freedom. To me, I would still, if I was the editor, like, I, you got to show me something. <laughs> like, right. like yeah. what have you done? Or like, why is it taking so long? <laughs> oh, well, like. I, I decided to write something a little bit different than I normally would. Okie dokie, like, let's see what you're trying to do here. Like, because, like, if you're the editor, right, you kind of, like, I got to sell this book. And also, like, I'm here to make sure that it's the best thing that you wanted to create. And if I can't be part of that process until it's almost over and we're, like, three months from releasing it, like, that's that's a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My mom says she also likes Deadline, uh, but... Uh, she wants to write some stories, but she's not, she's not, uh, nothing is pushing her. So I will just note, Daniel and I are now putting pressure on you, mom. I expect, I, uh, yes. one... I, w- I want to hear the stories. Yeah, a 1000 page novel by the end of November, go. <laughs> well, no, even just a short story, we could read the short story. <laughs> I know, but I want to put her on one of pressure. our <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It would be interesting. What, what short story would my mom write? And what would we, th- does my mom want to send it to us and we'll critique it live on the air? How honest will you be, Daniel, as a reviewer? <laughs> I I can be honest. My mom can take it, I think. Uh. <laughs> I'm a scientist. We have to do, you know, we have to give feedback all the time. That's true. That's interesting because you go through the peer review process. We have right? to do peer review. Yeah. yeah, we have to do peer review all the time. Of Do you serve as a peer reviewer on a journal? Oh, yes. Yeah. What is that process like for you out of curiosity? It's a lot of work, and you don't get any credit or any payment for it. Okay, so it's exactly so, the same I mean, humanities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it doesn't count for very much anything, but it's the essential foundation for your entire field. So you it have to be brutal, absolutely nothing. essentially. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be like an asshole, right? But you like the they always say you don't want to be reviewer number two. That's just like ridiculously over the top in terms of criticism and asking for unreasonable things. But at the same time, you need to read it honestly and offer feedback of like, okay, you said this conclusion, but did you really think about this other possibility? I don't think you you really definitively showed that that other possibility isn't true. Like, you need to address that. That's interesting. And so you have to have a brutal honesty, but at the same time, say it in ways that are reasonable. Right. And positive in terms of trying to get to make it a better paper. In some ways, it's almost, I imagine, like being an editor of someone's novel. Because you need to critique it, and you need, to, but you still need to, the job is to try to make it a better product. So Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like in the sciences, there's been over the last couple of years, some pretty high profile examples of very flawed or potentially doctored studies, not necessarily in your specific field, Mm. Daniel. Um, The one that comes to mind immediately was the honesty study, which ironically, the person who made it may not have been honest. (laughs) (laughs) The sheer irony. Oh, my God. Wow. And... You know, obviously made it through peer review and uh, was published and then people started to question it. And there's now like, isn't there a Harvard professor and one of the engineering or physics or something or math uh, who's now being accused of like doctoring data or something like there's a number, Mm -hmm. which on the one hand. Yeah, it's still it still happens. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, too frequently. Well, of course, this is science, right? Like, this is... And and it's the humanities, too, just to a lesser degree because of the way humanities works. It's more argumentation. And so, to some Mm -hmm. degree, peer review is meant to catch gaps in the way the argument's presented, but it's not necessarily to project the argument outright unless it's just flat wrong. Whereas in science, Mm -hmm. the goal of peer review is to identify critical flaws, but also if, like, the science can't possibly hold up or it looks like bullshit, you just say, no. Yeah. And so we're in this weird spot. But at at the same time, like, I want to raise this, which is that, like, the peer review process, there's some similarities, I agree, to editing. But the idea of peer review is, like, it's not a perfect system. It's meant to try to weed out the problems but this, the community of people in that that research space are meant to go, hey, this is horseshit. We're not going to accept it. No. Right. right. Like with science, right? The idea is you... Pre- even if it gets yeah, published. <laughs> like the science is even more so than the humanities, right? Because if I understand it right, it's gone through peer review. You've said, okay, it looks like it's good. And then people are supposed to take that study and recreate it. And if it right. doesn't recreate under the conditions provided, then now we have big yeah. questions. Because if it's, I mean, if it's of any actual interest to people, somebody else is studying a similar thing. And so they're going to at least expand on it or branch off of it. And part of that process is verifying what the other group reported is working correctly in your hands. And if it's not, you got to figure out why that is. And one possibility is because they made the shit up. Or they were wrong. Maybe there was some variable they they didn't account for. I mean, there's, it's usually not that they made it up. I mean, most often it's because they didn't account for something or even more frequently, you know, they studied it in this version of the species in your lab's version 
it's not genetically identical. And <sighs> so it works differently. That's a good point. It's not everybody's working with like clones. And so that's a good point. It's kind of like I did an experiment on Sean and I found this. And then you try to do the same experiment on Paul. Like, doesn't work you're on not Paul. Necess- you're both humans, but you're not genetically identical, right? Yeah. And so like you might get a different result. And it's like, oh, well, it's because it's not the same background. And if we run with this, right, in fiction, right, publishing a fiction, like to some degree, mm-hmm. I suppose you could think of uh, the editors are your peer reviewers, as it were, like not quite analogous, but close enough. But Mm -hmm. the scientific community is like the people who read the book and review it. Correct. Even even more so, I guess, like the other readers that then are writers themselves, too, that then take those ideas and branch off of them. It's like, oh, I love what Anne Leckie did in the series i want to do like take those some of those ideas and put another spin on it because i really like this but i didn't really like this and so i'm going to do an and so you get that sort of it's an interactive community right that's building off of what has been published prior so there's similarities there yeah it's really interesting to think about so what we're getting down to is uh definitely would be nice to see these events maybe present some how to self-edit or different editing paths or structures would be useful. I mean, I suppose for Nano, maybe they could do an event like after Nano, like, hey, you've written this book now. What do you do? <laughs> right. Which would be worth it. I think that would be a cool idea. I mean, Orbit's probably not listening to us and what the hell's wrong with you, Orbit? What are you doing? But it would be a smart <laughs> It idea. would be like Nano Edmo. Nano Edmo. Is there a Nano Edmo? Yeah. National Novel Editors Month? Sure. <laughs> there should be. It's nanoedmo.com. <laughs> should be. <laughs> I don't know if it's real, but if not, there should be. Oh, there's a Camp NaNoWriMo, uh, Tanya says in chat. So I suppose the camp okay. then is like, okay, let's edit the novel. Can con- continue working on it. Which yeah. makes sense. Which is what you would do if you wrote a novel that you think is worth worth salvaging uh-huh. from that experience. So Okay, well, I think we, we got a show. I think we did it. <laughs> so uh, that's the end of the show. Uh, well, the, the recorded part of it for the, the internet. We'll say a proper goodbye to the Twitch folks in a hot minute. If you do have topics that you'd like us to cover on this, they can be reasonably topical. Uh, our clacks is usually around the middle of a month, um, but otherwise any other topics you'd like us to cover, or if you are an author who is presently in chat on Twitch and you'd like to come just talk to us on a clacks episode, <laughs> that is also possible. Um, you can obviously go to skiffingfanny.com slash listener suggestions, and you can just submit any kind of stuff there. It's always wonderful. We're on a lot of different social places, the Skiffy and Fanty Show. We're usually Skiffy and Fanty on pretty much everything. We're on Blue Sky, Facebook, Instagram, etc. The best place to go find that and our newsletter link is to go to l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash Skiffy and Fanty. That's Linktree. So please do that. Get our newsletter, all that good stuff. If you do like the show and you want to get inside knowledge about the show and all that good stuff, we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Skiffy and Fanty. Uh, and yeah, please join. All it takes is a dollar. If you'd like to join us for live torture cinema watches, where we watch the movie that our listeners pick and suffer together, um, that's three dollars <laughs> and up. And uh, once a month, we'll watch them together, and it's it's horrible. I can't I can't express to you the movie we're watching soon is a ho- no. Uh, oh, I'm looking forward to it tonight. Uh, oh God, Daniel, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Daniel. It's. It's Bird Eye Gordon. It, I've watched so much. I mean, it's granted, it's Mystery Science Theater, Bird Eye Gordon. But still. Oh, my goodness. 
Uh, well, anyway, so patreon.com slash And then uh, please, on all your favorite apps, review the show. Uh, let folks know about us. Uh, we do need some word of mouth. Please help. Okay. Me, I'm at SeanDuke.net, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this, Alphabet Stream is going to be a place for Skiffy and Fanti. We're going to start the phasing out process, so if you follow me on Alphabet Streams, you will eventually also get Skiffy and Fanti there on the normal schedule, and they'll go on that calendar there. Um, and I have a link tree as well, which is just slash SeanDuke, so you can find my stuff. And then, Daniel, where can folks find you? You can find me at reading1000lives.com. That's reading1000lives.com. Or on Blue Sky at reading1000lives. Yeah. And Daniel is helping us with reviews on the blog, by the way. And Daniel is helping us with organizing as well, which Daniel deserves mm-hmm. a round of applause in chat. So please give Daniel a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. You get 4 million points. I don't know how to give them to you, but I'm going <laughs> to give them. Okay. Uh, now that I have uh, made it awkward, uh, my mom has clapped precisely twice. Just <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> and on that note, awkward ending and scene. If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or skiffyandfanty.com, our website, where you can get access to all of our fancy things. Our music comes from Holy Mole. You can support him and his work at patreon.com slash holy mole. Thank you for listening.